Good evening, church. I'm excited to get to kick off Wednesday nights together, and I thought there's uh, no better way for us to start our time together moving forward in our new relationship as a church. There's no better way to do that than to say, okay, what is our mission and objective as a church? What are the important, crucial things that we need to focus on as we move forward? So we're going to start a series on church life and church foundations. And we're answering this question, if if we are the church, what does that mean? What's our mission? What's our priority? So we're going to do this by beginning to look at the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy uh, was written by Paul to Timothy, giving him some words of wisdom as a pastor. Now, these aren't Paul's final words to Timothy, but it's getting close. So you know that the things that he has to communicate are going to be really big, important, vital. And that's why we have it in Scripture given to us by God. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That's what my goal is. It's to put these things before us as a good servant of Christ Jesus. We'll see why as we study this book. So if you have your Bibles open to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 7 together, and I'll pray, and then we will dive right in. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word to us tonight? Would you cause it to pierce our hearts? Father, would you use your truth to mold us and shape us into the image of your Son through the Holy Spirit. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. All right, so as we dive into this letter, we come first kind of to an introduction in the first two verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So basically, here in the introduction, we have who the letter's from and who the letter's to. 
It's from Paul, and it's not just some random person, Paul. It's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. And it's to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So Timothy was put in charge of pastoring the church at Ephesus, and Paul, as an apostle of Christ, is writing to Timothy to charge him to shepherd this church well. There's significance in the fact that Paul is writing this as an apostle. He is God's chosen instrument to specially hand-deliver gospel truths. The reason why I bring this up is this isn't just some random opinion. This is the opinion of an apostle who was chosen by God's command. And we have it here for us in Scripture for us to read as God's word, not just some opinion. So as we come across things in this book, it's important for us to recognize the authority from which we are reading. It's not just a random man. God chose Paul as an instrument to record these things for us in his word. So as we move on now into the letter, we have this introduction out of the way. From Paul to Timothy, greetings to you, verse 3. What does he have to say? He says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons. Okay. So Timothy's task was to remain at Ephesus so that he could give a charge to certain persons. Timothy's position carried a purpose. This is going to pop up again and again in this letter and in 2 Timothy. God's structuring of the church is not random. If God gives us a position in the church, he gives us that position for a purpose. There's an end goal in mind. He doesn't desire to just fill up a church staff for the purpose of having a full staff, for the purpose of having salaries to use our tithe money for. Rather, God gives the church what the church needs. And if God says that the church needs something, there's a reason that he's given that to us. So we see here for Timothy, he's being charged to remain at Ephesus so that he may charge certain persons. So one of Timothy's jobs, one of his purposes was to give verbal direction. That's the charge here. This verbal direction, what was it? What was he to charge? Let's keep reading. That you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So for Timothy, there are two jobs that we have mentioned here in the text. Number one, one of Timothy's jobs as a pastor of this church, to shepherd this church, was to protect the church's doctrine by directing 
its teachers. One of Timothy's jobs as pastor was to protect the church's doctrine by directing its teachers. This is the most important job for the pastors of a church. A church's doctrine is how a church understands what is being taught in God's word. It is vital for us to have doctrine that is grounded in God's word and for that to guide our lives because when that's not true and God's word is not guiding our lives, suddenly we are in control. We are calling the shots. The pastor of the church is charged with keeping our eyes on Christ by fixing us to his word. If a pastor fails somewhere, somehow, he better not fail at this. All throughout Scripture, we see this idea that bad doctrine produces bad living. It's our misunderstanding of God, His character, His commands that leads us to act in ways that are contrary to God, His character, and His commands. One example would be the idea that, okay, well, since God knows all things, including who will be saved, we don't need to evangelize. That is bad doctrine. <laughs> it's bad. It doesn't take into account the instruction to evangelize or God's gifting his church to build up the church. It's taking a truth about God and distorting it or adding to or taking away or just changing. Does God know all things? Yes. Does God know who will be saved? Yes. Do we need to evangelize? Yes. Pastors need to be able to protect the church's doctrine so that things like this don't happen. And for them to do that, a pastor should be qualified. That's why pastors are given qualifications in Scripture. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to look at some of these in more detail. But this is a heavy charge for the pastors of a church. That's one of Timothy's jobs here. What's the second job mentioned here? Number two, the other job, Timothy's job as pastor, is to protect the church's devotion by stewarding God's word. Timothy's second job as a pastor of this church is to protect the church's devotion by stewarding God's word. There were various strange teachings and people trying to trace genealogies to use for their benefit. He says here in verses 3 and 4, charge these persons not to teach any different doctrine, verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Ephesus was the home of multiple temples to different Greek gods. Think about these movies we have today of 
all the different Greek gods and the mythology surrounding them. I mean, it is just an endless web of stories and accounts and ideas. So kind of imagine that, but actually lived out in the belief and minds of the people in Ephesus. So being in the presence of this, Christians were at risk of having their doctrine influenced by devotion to some of these myths. Our doctrine is often influenced by our devotion. What we are most devoted to will impact in a way what we believe and think. And then that in turn will impact what we do. If we want proper doctrine, we must be devoted to God through his word. When we aren't devoted to God's word as the foundation for our teaching, what happens is we are forced to speculate. Look at the scriptures here. It says, charge them not to devote themselves to these myths and endless genealogies, which do what? Which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. That's why the scripture says that it promotes speculation instead of stewardship. When we aren't devoted to God's word as this foundation, it's no longer stewarding God's word, it's speculating. We become the source, our innovation becomes the source of our teaching and the guide for our teaching. Sometimes teachers in the church will start with an idea and then go to the Bible to find it. This requires speculation, innovation. You speculate as to what the Bible says and then try to find verses to match your opinion. Our job, especially the pastor's job, is not to speculate, but to be a good steward. We take what God has given us and we use it wisely. We take God's word, we use it wisely. We manage it wisely. We go to it and use it wisely. Now, that's not to say that we can't teach or preach or study topically. That's not what I'm saying. But when you approach the scriptures, you'd better be ready to find something in them that you didn't expect to find. A lot of times when I am engaged in sermon prep, the main point of the sermon will turn out not to be what I expected it to be. I, I come to the text, I'm, maybe I'm familiar with the text, and I'm, I have this preconceived idea of what I think that the main point is going to be. I assume the text is going to teach something, and a lot of times it teaches something similar or close or maybe exactly that. But by the time I'm done preparing, the text has prepared my heart and my mind to think differently. The teacher's job, the pastor's job, is to be a good steward of the truth 
that God has given us in his word. We are stewards. We're not innovators. If you come up with something in scripture that hasn't been discovered in hundreds up to almost 2,000 years of church history, you've probably done something wrong. You've probably done something wrong. Let's continue in verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Timothy's charge from Paul was to charge certain persons in verse 3 to protect doctrine and devotion. So now we see the goal. The end goal isn't to have intellectually robust Christians, though we should want that. The end goal isn't to have more knowledge than others, though we should want that. The end goal, the aim of our charge, verse 5, is love. The church should be defined by love. Now, here's where many churches go astray, especially in our American church culture. If you look at this verse, the goal isn't just love. It's a certain type of love. Look at these key words here. The aim of our charge is love that issues from. Sometimes these words in Scripture that seem so insignificant and just filler words are some of the most helpful in helping us to formulate right doctrine and devotion. Weird. Ironic. The goal is love that issues from. The source of our love is the aim of the charge, not love itself. We could define or characterize love in multiple different ways. The question is, what is the type of love that this charge is aimed towards? And we have three sources here in the text. Three sources of this love. The aim of our charge is love that issues from, number one, a pure heart. A pure heart is one that has been forgiven of sin so that it can love God. It's a heart that's been purified. We cannot purify our own hearts. As much as we try, we cannot make ourselves have a perfect desire and love for God. We cannot do that. Proper doctrine teaches us that we are devoted to sin until we are saved by God, just like the rest of the world. It's only after being saved from sin by Christ that we can be devoted to God. So this love that stems from this doctrine and devotion 
This love that's produced is only possible if it issues from a pure heart. Number two, second source of love is a good conscience. A good conscience is one that knows it has done the right thing even when it's hard. How do we know that we've done the right thing? It's hard. It's not the easy road. It may not even be the road that we feel like doing in the moment. Our feelings are not the best gauge for whether an action is right or not. God honoring or not. We know that we have done the right thing when our actions are guided by proper doctrine, which teaches us how to live. So proper doctrine teaches us that we are devoted to sin and that Christ can save us from that twisted devotion and devote us to God. That's the pure heart. And then doctrine guides us, proper doctrine guides us to be able to formulate right actions according to it so that we can have a good conscience when we act knowing we have sought the Lord, and done what he's asked us to do. But there's one more source here. Love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, number three, and a sincere faith. A sincere faith is one that is genuinely placed in God. Romans ten seventeen says this, So faith comes from hearing, And hearing through the word of Christ. Isn't it interesting that all three of these sources that produce this love, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith, all three of these are directly affected by our doctrine. And when these sources have been changed and shaped by God's word, Love is what should flow from them. This is the goal in the church. It's not just love as we defined it. It's not an innovative love or a creative love. It's not a love that we invent or define. It is a love that stems from a person that has been deeply, profoundly impacted by the truth of God's word. And as they have turned to Christ after hearing the word of Christ, and they commit themselves to the study of God's word, it purifies their hearts, it gives them a good conscience, it gives them a sincere faith that can display love to the world according to how God has defined it. That is the charge. That that is the goal of the charge, rather. Let's continue in verse 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. The certain persons here are the same certain persons from verse 3. 
They desire to teach in the church and they are teaching in the church, but their hearts, consciences, and faith have been weakened from their swerving in verse six from God's word. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away. Having a desire to teach is not enough to make us a good, faithful teacher. Having a desire to manage your money well doesn't make you a good steward of your money. It takes good practice. Proper acting upon that desire that's well informed. And it's the same thing with teaching God's word. Having the desire to teach is not enough to make us good, faithful stewards of God's word. These certain persons here, their misunderstanding is revealed in the fact that their teaching was no longer affecting them before they taught it. It says that they desire to be teachers, but they don't understand what they're saying. They're communicating the words. They don't understand it. God's word should change us before God sends it through us to change others. Have you ever heard a sermon and instantly thought, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. They really need to hear this. Did you hear it first? Has God's word profoundly impacted you? The whole point of all of this is that in the life of the church, proper doctrine is vital. And the pastors are responsible for making sure it's protected. Think about Jesus. Jesus was perfectly devoted to God. Why? In part, it's because he perfectly knew God. When Jesus calls God Father, it's different than when we call God Father. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God. Notice when Jesus countered Satan's temptations, how did he do so? With God's word. He didn't use innovative methods, though he could have as God, I guess. But he leaves for us an example, a model. Jesus countered Satan's temptations with God's word. His heart, his conscience, and his faith were perfect. And what was produced by this perfect heart, conscience, and sincere faith in Christ as he sought to be devoted to God 
by doing what God commanded him to do. What was the result of that? It led him to sacrifice himself for us out of love for us. Jesus, the perfect personification of doctrine and devotion, produced love on the cross for us. This is what should happen to each of us as we come to Christ through God's word. We catch glimpses of Jesus and it influences our doctrine and our devotion and it produces in us what we see in Jesus. This love that causes us to sacrifice for the sake of others. But unlike Jesus, whose heart, conscience, and faith were perfect, our hearts, consciences, and faith are not. Before we come to Christ, the word that Scripture uses is dead. We are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked in Ephesians chapter 2. It is only through Jesus that we are saved from this sin to live for God. He cleanses our hearts, he clears our conscience, and he establishes our faith rightly. And the only way that we can know about that truth is if we are guided by the right doctrine that tells us so. This is why it's so important for the church to be shepherded and pastored by someone who is sought to make it their charge to protect the church's doctrine and devotion. And as those things are protected among the church, the people under the influence of that teaching being shaped by God's word will be transformed into that same image and will go out into the world and play that role in the lives of unbelievers who are lost. Whose hearts are not purified by the blood of Christ. Who need forgiveness. It is this right doctrine and devotion that will motivate us and energize us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live in such a way. So in closing, just like a pilot checks all the levels before flying a plane, one of my jobs as the new pastor of this church is to check the foundation of the church before just taking off. On Wednesday nights, we're going to do this First, by studying through 1 Timothy, and probably 2 Timothy as well. And as we study, what I'm asking you to do is to check the levels with me. You know this church a lot better than I do right now. That'll change over time. 
But you can answer some of these questions, if you answer honestly, better than I can. In what ways is our church possibly acting more on speculation, tradition, or opinion, rather than being good stewards of God's instructions for us in Scripture? That's what we want to answer. And I want you to help me to answer that. Our goal as a church is to say, God, we are going to be properly devoted to you by studying your word, by using your word to inform and instruct our doctrine so that we might properly understand how to live for you as your image bearers on this earth for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us your word, that you haven't left us to try to reason out for our own who you are, what you might like, what you might wish for us to do. But you have given us your word. You have established it for us so that we may know for certain these things. We can catch a glimpse of who you are by looking at what you've done, especially the work that you've done on the cross through Jesus Christ in our place. Father, would you protect our devotion to you through your word? Would you cause us to find our hope and satisfaction in nothing and no one else but you? Holy Spirit, we ask you to bring about these works in us. Make us sensitive to your leading. God, we thank you that you have sent the perfect lamb, Jesus, to die in our place to provide this reality for us. Help us to be faithful and good stewards of your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.